This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Check them out at jewishjournal.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit 2njb.com slash donate. We all want to be the best we can be. And of course, we want to surround ourselves with the best of the best. But this seemingly positive motive has led some people to say and do some pretty horrific things throughout history. The Greek philosopher Plato suggested selective mating to breed a higher class of humans. In Sparta, a council of elders inspected every child to determine if he or she was fit to live. In early ancient Rome, fathers were expected to immediately kill their children if they were disabled in any way. But it's not just ancient history. In the 19th and 20th century, a new system of beliefs began to emerge, eugenics. The idea that through selective breeding, we can improve the genetic makeup of the human race. Sound familiar? But where did eugenic thought originate? Professor Amir Teicher discusses exactly that in his new book, Social Mendelism, Genetics and the Politics of Race in Germany, 1900 to 1948. Professor Teicher is an assistant professor of history at the University of Tel Aviv. His research is focused on Germany, eugenics, the development of modern biological thinking, racism and anti-Semitism, and the history of medicine. We are super thrilled to be joined today by Professor Amir Teicher to talk about his new book and the history of eugenics, and hopefully maybe a little bit about Corona. Thank you for joining us. It's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So let's yeah let's kick it off with just because it's so relevant and your study and your you know you focus on this in your research uh, the coronavirus so where how does this compare with past epidemics or pandemics and uh, and what do you feel what can like, we expect yeah what can we expect well historians are very bad at at giving um, you know and, and at forecasts about what will come next I mean our our job is to say what happened in the past. Um, um, and what we can do is use this past in order to explore all kinds of possibilities and which of them will really materialize is something that is beyond, beyond our capabilities. Um, I think it's very interesting that the uh, almost only comparison that you can find in most of the media right now is the, is the 1918 uh, Spanish flu um, and uh, first of all, there is a great difference between these these pandemics. Uh, one of them is the fact that the the current one, the coronavirus, um, mainly targets, in a sense, if we can say that about the virus, um, older people or people with um, immune system this already a little um, um, weak, shaky, shaky, um, and uh, what. What comes after that is that most of the talk in the media is not about the fact that these people will die, but that if too many of them will die, it will overburden our health system, and then it will break down, and then the real important people, in a sense, uh, would suffer, right? The pregnant women that would not have a hospital to come to, or the young, or etc. And this is what, uh, and this is, I think, quite interesting uh, to note, because... Um, um, 
it says something about us and about the way we treat or we think about the, the people who are already weak. And that, in a sense, is, uh, has some connection also to my book, right? In the sense that uh, there is something in us which makes it easier for us to think about those who are, in this case, already old as more dispensable <laughs> than those who are young and healthy. The physically inferior. The physically weak. Or, or, yeah. The, yeah, or the ones who are less important for society, in a sense. Um, so I didn't hear much talk about the fact that, oh, this is a horrible virus because it kills old people. No, the talk is, it's a horrible virus although, because... Although, although yeah. it... Ki- yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. a horrible virus because it kills old people. And if it'll kill too many of them, it'll cause trouble to all of us, the not old people, right? That's a, that's a very so curious way of... of yeah. So I think the... the I mean, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. I yeah. think the idea, right, is that is that for the elderly population, mm-hmm. there is a plethora of risks, right? We all die in the end. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the thinking, right? Is that in the end, we're, we're one way or another, we're going to die. And the older you get, the risk of dying obviously goes up. Mm-hmm. So this is another one of the risks that is added to the, you know, part of risks that old people face. And so... It's not that big of a deal. That's, I think, I mean, that's how I interpreted it. That might be true, but I didn't see so much rationalizing about that. I mean, usually it's just, you know, it's just like, it's a dangerous disease because if it is spread too quickly, then too many people, older people, will need these machines that we don't have enough of them, and then everything will collapse. But mm-hmm. okay, but even before everything collapsed, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, so... Um, I think something is taken for granted here, uh, which shouldn't be. And yeah, we we can, if we want, to rationalize that. But usually, no one even bothered to do bothered to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing uh, that, like, a thought of an historian. Um, another one is that um, if we really, really want to use history, we should also think about other pandemics, other diseases. Um, whether it was the waves of cholera that hits Europe and America, or Uh, in the 19th century, or the yellow fever, or other diseases. Um, and then we can note all kinds of things, which you can see them happening again at uh, this time. One of them, for example, is the, um, the tendency for all kinds of um, conspiracy theories to, to uh, rise as soon as there is some kind of plague or something. The Jews did it. The That's Jews not a conspiracy it. theory. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. Actually. Not just the Jews. The doctors did it because they need the well, bodies. All doctors for are Jews. So. <laughs> yeah. Or and in this case, I don't know how much you follow these, but we already saw some of these come and go. Uh, it's like uh, Chinese experiment. Chinese experiment or Bill Gates had a, and all, all kinds of things. You know, so um, uh, so of course we can expect such things to rise. I think more would come because this pandemic is not going to end uh, soon and we have to be attentive not only to what we hear in the like um, mass media or the um, I mean we have to listen also to what people say I don't know in the synagogues in the afternoon or the not just synagogues of course is the, uh, the the uh, the talks in the bars as long as people go to bars but so all these discussions also in like the fringe parts of society or the religious talk about the pandemic which usually doesn't t- you know go to the headlines because the headlines now uh, get what well, the institutions even in the, say, so, even in the know, secular yeah. uh, 
because a lot of the times it's almost expected from the more you know religious extreme uh, extremist uh, factions of society but even in the secular uh, you know even people that are close to me I hear sometimes uh, statements like you know this is kind of the universe telling us that we yeah. should slow our modern day lives down yeah which uh, you know it, I think is you know a bit too much of rationalizing in the end it's a deadly disease yeah. it's killing the people universe it's, yeah it's the, not the thing yeah but but we need we need to attach meaning to things right mm -hmm. so when something like this happens even even for the greater picture yeah so so we need we, it, it needs to make sense otherwise what was happening right so uh, so it is it's easier to think okay there's climate crisis no one listened to the fact that we need to slow down our pace so now we get but mm -hmm. the universe is not telling us anything because it's not an entity that can talk right it's the sum <laughs> of whatever happens it's not, i mean i yeah. i think it's the chinese paying the price for the fact that they eat wolf puppies which we already discussed but you know <laughs> i gotta ask one last question yeah. about this topic sure. do you is it safe to say already or is it too early that we'll live really in a point of time which will be how shall i put it historic times in in the in the big sense of the word this this disease and like that people will look at it historians in the future will look at it like i mean who remembers the spanish flu until now right well i did no um, other than <laughs> no, his story, yeah right? but um i i'm a third generation to holocaust survivors so i think i um um i maybe my baseline assumption about reality is that uh, catastrophe is part of human lives. And so like if you just throw a, you know, a, a ball at any point, at any time in the history of humankind, the chances are that you will fall and, and pick up a random person and look at that person from birth to death, then sometime during that life, it's quite probable that some kind of catastrophe would happen. A mass migration, a plague, a war, a, war, um, a tyranny, uh, whatever. Of course, there were calmer times, you know, and there were more stressful times. But um, uh, so uh, from my point of view, uh, the fact that such things are happening is um, they were supposed to happen. I mean, the, uh, if you have a piece statistics. What? It's a matter of nature of um, nature or the nature of human nature. I don't know. Um, so I don't want to be too deterministic about it. But I think I mean, you can say it, it's a matter of statistics. Things like that are happening all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and they are happening more frequently in the less well-off parts of the world. The fact that we don't live there and we live our peaceful lives usually and don't see all these things happening is... Um, doesn't mean doesn't mean that it's that our experience is usually the representative right right so so what's your yeah. book about uh, my book is called social mentalism as you mentioned uh, which is a spin-off on social darwinism um and um usually i mean social darwinism is a term that everybody's familiar with um and let's yeah not us no no you okay um that some people are familiar with okay um so tell us and what is, what's and it basically it's the idea that darwin's ideas about um about rate about struggles uh, between um different species or within a species and about the survival of the fittest um 
entered into social thought, social thinking in the late 19th century and influenced all kinds of spheres from economics and the idea that those who win the capitalistic competition are the ones who are who deserve uh, it. who deserve it in a sense and maybe that this competition makes them better so we, you know so this is in in the capitalist sense uh, but also it's more familiar in the uh, eugenic and maybe even the nazi version of it which is the the extreme one where there what is history if not a struggle between races uh and we need to win that 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 struggle and life is a struggle and and all of this um so this theme uh, for those who are interested in uh, for example nazism um is quite from a, a familiar one um what is less familiar uh, i think is the fact that mendelism which is the basics the 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 basic study of genetics the mendel is that augustinian monk who who took these uh, green and yellow peas and cross-pollinated them and saw that in the first generation you see only yellow and then the green comes back uh, and then realized that there are dominant and recessive traits and established the the uh, the paradigm that that later became the the starting point of modern genetics uh, this thing this mendelism this theory about how genes work um was first it was part of part and parcel of 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 nazi racism um and it was much more than simply a technical um you know value neutral theory about genes it was a social theory uh no less than darwinism became and i'll just give you maybe a couple of examples so so one of them um which will just make it a little more palpable is the fact that you can find if you look uh, good enough in the um, sources you can find uh, all kinds of people for example jews uh, in nazi germany saying that um, they want to or they need to outmendle themselves and hitler by the way also says we need to outmendel the jews so what is this outmendel uh this like mendel becomes a verb and he wants to do something to the jews which is to mendel them out what does it mean and what it means is that jews have all kinds of re recessive traits which are hidden in the population and we need to discover them somehow and uh, the way to do that might also mean that we need to allow certain crosses between uh, like the uh, half Jews or the quarter Jews, so that these recessive genes of the Jews would um, would meet in a sense, or be like so. This is called in genetics uh, homozygous or homozygous um, state, where you have the same gene from your mother and your father, um, and then the recessive traits become apparent because otherwise they are hidden because of the dominant traits. So all this kind of discussion becomes a social discussion and a political discussion and racial discussion about what to do with the Jews, but not only with the Jews, also with the feeble-minded. So two, yeah. two quick questions. First is, th this is clearly discernible from Darwinian thought, meaning because yeah. this is different this is about the mendel mendelism and the genetic uh crossbreeding of people and how recessive and dominant traits so my question is how is this was this the intent of the artist as they say was this uh was this built into mendel's thinking or it was this an interpretation because you said it well, what that mendelism was clearly a social 
there were social elements to it. Yeah, uh, well, of course, I'm not, uh, Mendel was not a Nazi, if that's what you're interpreting. He, he couldn't have been. He lived in, uh, he published in studies in 1865. Um, and no, but were uh, there elements um, to his thinking that might have suggested Well, scientific he... theories are very flexible. So practically you can do not everything, but quite a lot uh, with the same theory and push it, it, it towards all kinds of directions. In the beginning of the 20th century, Mendelism was considered to be tied up with ideas of genetic determinism. Um, and with the fact that you cannot change your genes and uh, therefore... Uh, what you have in your genetic endowment would somehow determine what or who would you, you would be. Um, and in that sense, it also became tied up with right-wing um, agenda in politics, so that if you believe that actually um, genetic uh, genes are more malleable and they can be influenced by, envi by the environment, for example, then you would probably be a communist in a sense. So like mm -hmm. communist like, like theories which show that, uh, no, human nature is malleable and you can change it. And more racists preferred theories which were more hardcore genetics. But today science says it's pretty much half-half, right? Uh, what science says today changes uh, quite often, uh, but I'm not sure half-half, but uh, well, both it matter. Both matter, yeah. So I, I got to get back to the basics real quick. Yeah. Because when I go, like, if you want, if you go to an egg donor or a sperm do donor, yeah. you look at their, how they, like, you get a sheet with their qualities and how they look, right? The donors, if you want to get a transplant, mm -hmm. right? So, and, and then you use, and you use it because to, to choose what your baby will maybe become. Right. So I got to ask the most basic question. Is there such a thing as a, I don't know, German Jewish or Polish Jewish uh, gene pool, uh, a Jewish gene, gene, a German gene? Like, can you make these determinations? Well, the genes uh, are our genome. So whatever there is in our genes and around our genes, um, are a very rich source of information, also about our history in a sense, or about our evolutionary history. So using that information and using enough statistics, uh, often you can say something like, um, I know that people that have these genes also tend to have certain traits or certain diseases or share uh, common ancestors with certain other people, right? Common qualities? Well, I don't know. Uh, qualities is, is a little more Vague. tricky like thing. Like intelligence um, or, or intelligence looks. Is, is, it, intelligence is such a complex thing even before you start talking about genes. So what kind of intelligence? I mean, there are so many intelligences, uh, right? right? And what is intelligence made of? It's But made Africans of, are yeah. better athletes, right? That's genetic. Not. Not, not quite no. no first of all the the myth about africans it's not africans it's well you're talking you're taking me to a talk about genetics and i'm okay. a historian but we can do that but the, the story about It africans as uh, uh, yeah. you have to ask yourself what kind of athletic um, field you're talking about now you probably talk about running running and yes. what kind of running right so the marathon like sp or sprint marathon sp sprint right okay. and then there is um well 
as far as I know, um, there was a certain mutation or several mutations in certain genes which are responsible for, well, how, how do you say that in English, uh, for some kind of process uh, that is used to, uh, I don't want to say it incorrectly, it helps you run quicker, okay? Mm -hmm. And it this mutation happened a long time ago in a s very specific area somewhere in Africa. Mm -hmm. And people who are, who are so good as runners might have this mutation, so some of their ancestors came from that area. But it's not all of Africa. Yeah, some kind of metal. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. The so, uh, but it's it's not all of Africa. So it's okay. not all of Africans. It's not all running. It's a very you take something which is uh, very specific, uh, uh, very and specific, and, and yeah, extrapolate it quite you know widely. So, yeah. Okay. So back to the book. Back to the book. So let me let me take you to uh, an interesting example from the book and uh, this talks of, uh, this is uh, again about genetic determinism um, when we when we want to know what happened in let's say um, racial teaching in Nazi Germany until uh, in most of the books if you want to know what happened there you have two main sources for that one of them is the official curricula or circulars that the Ministry of Education circulated or the textbooks, etc., which is a good source, but also a problematic one because we know for a fact that there is a quite a big, great difference between what should be learned in the classrooms and what actually happens there, right? So if I, right, so so there's there's a gap. Even in Nazi Germany, there is a gap between what teachers want to teach and what really happens. Mm -hmm. The other kind of source that you we have is usually memories from children that attended such schools. Um, and these are also a little problematic often uh, because these memories usually say something like, oh, they taught all this racial nonsense, but I knew that it's actually quite ridiculous and they chose the Jewish student to be the Nordic ideal and we all laughed, etc. So I didn't meet anyone saying something like, oh, I remember actually it was really good teaching and we really appreciated the teacher who taught us about race, right? So we have some kind of bias in, in these memories. Um, and when I worked on the book, I found um, uh, another historical source which I thought was really fascinating. And this was reports by trainee teachers. So they were like students uh, who were studying to be teachers and as part of their studying, they had to go and teach in certain schools um, and and they had to um, to file a report on what was their experiences uh, while teaching, and someone was also watching them, uh, right? Because they were just uh, trainee teachers, um, and so they had they had to write down everything that went fine and that didn't go well. Um, and uh, this is a really inter interesting source because you can hear through it often also the voices of the students because they document what the student asked and what they answered. And on top of that, you have the remarks of someone who examined this. So you have certain level, uh, like three, at least three levels of, of three voices that you hear in the same, in the same historical source. So I looked into these uh, reports of trainee teachers who went to teach um, hereditary science or racial science or genetics in high schools in Germany in 1932. And what you get from there is a very interesting picture, um, which often is not exactly what, what you usually hear about. So to take just one example, um, students who started learning about this kind of, okay, genes are so important, started saying, 
uh, okay, so I, I'm not doing homework anymore because my genes tell me that I'm actually lazy. And then the teachers had to cope with that, right? So what, what do you do? You, you keep on lecturing them about the fact that everything is racial and genetically determined. And now they or say, okay. Or you slap them. It's also, you can also slap them. Yeah, I'm not sure they slapped them so much. But, um, but so the students started using that to say, okay, so we have a, an, ex an excuse for everything, right? Um, another thing which was interesting is that once uh, teachers started talking about races, so there is not just the, the Jewish and the Aryan race, the, the, uh, the racial theory and at the time uh, was that there were roughly six races in Germany that became inter intermixed. <coughs> the Nordic, the Dinaric, the Alpine, the East Baltic, the Mediterranean, all kinds of races that they assumed lived there a couple of thousand years before. And now everybody is intermixed and have the genes of these races. And then as soon as they started talking about that, uh, the students started saying, Haha, so you, and they pointed at some girl in the classroom, you are actually Dinaric, you're not Nordic, because they just saw us, sh saw us uh, sorry, show, they showed us these faces of the Dinaric ideal type, so you're Dinaric, you're not Nordic, so you're less than us. So this racial teaching, again, became a problem for how do you manage your classroom and also how do you manage your national community, which is supposed to be integrated and whole and of course you need the jews out but you need everybody else in almost everybody else um so all these tensions uh i think are fascinating because they show you that the, the, the historical realities of science and indoctrination and politics and the school children which don't just you know nod and say okay everything is fine they, they argue with the teachers they um, so Maybe because they're genetically disposed to yeah, to argue exactly. to be clever exactly um but i wonder okay so it seems yeah. to me like the 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 main uh theme and also from the bits that i did read of the book that the main theme throughout the book is to discern this Mendel the mendelian part of 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 eugenics of nazi thinking like to say okay this isn't totally just darwin influence but it's also mendelian and the reason i was asking before if you know this was um uh i guess uh, built into the mendelian way of thinking is what if if it wasn't why do you feel like it's Im important to point out that there is some Mendelian elements to eugenics and to Nazi uh, Germany race thinking. Uh, well, one reason is that, uh, as I said, we, we used to think about Mendelian teaching as this kind of uh, um, technical and neutral theory. Uh, and But this is a, a construction. This is a, constru a post-World War II construction that geneticists labored hard to 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 make sure that we have this legacy because uh, it was okay to throw out uh, racial thinking, but they didn't want genetics to go up, right? So, so we are still living in this kind of... Uh, the thinking that we have today about genetics in the beginning of the 20th century um, is, is a myth, in a, in a sense. Um, and I think it's... Well, I'm a historian. I like to, you know shatter myths uh yeah that that's my job uh to look at things the way that they really were um and i think of course it has a lot of relevance also for today uh because up until coronavirus <laughs> um then i mean genetics is something that is still very much a part of of modern discussion about society and about our nature and about what we can do and about where we came from um, 
And I think it's crucial that we um, realize how social thinking and scientific thinking are so much intertwined. Uh, and one of the best case studies to, to study that is, is this case of, of German history. Now, I, I don't deal only with Nazi history. I go before and also I look at what happened after the Nazis, um, 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 after the fall of the, the Third Reich. So what um, happened? Wow, that's a, um, a complex question. But basically, uh, genetics became, uh, there was a, a move to cleanse genetics of its problematic uh, racial aspects, but they stay there. Um, and one of the things I, I, I discovered, for example, was the fact that in 1947-48, so just, you know, the war just ended, the occupation of like the Americans are still in Germany, everybody's still there. The um, lots of Nazi doctors, uh, or maybe they should be called now German doctors, are laboring hard to re-legalize sterilization. There were, the Nazi has had a sterilization law. The Americans had a sterilization law much prior to that from 1907, but, but the Nazis had a much more like a harsh, a very harsh and compulsory one. And they sterilized roughly 400,000 people that were allegedly genetically uh, inferior. So they had like schizophrenia or manic depression or they were alcoholics or they were the feeble-minded. Who did the Americans sterilize and how many? Uh, the Americans uh, sterilized, well, the Americans... What I'm sorry, what? Sterilizing is like oh, yeah. making them not fertile so they okay. can't produce yeah. uh, offspring. Right. Um, the numbers of the Americans are in the like tens of thousands. Um, and they s it's like different states, so you have to look at every state differently. But ba basically, the, the main menace was feeble-mindedness mm. as a like, general category of these kinds of idiots, morons, feeble-minded. Um, All uh, in that year, one, 1907? No, no, from 1907 onwards. onwards. Uh, idiots. We, if we were born back then. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> It hurts <laughs> just to think. <laughs> Wait, what would have happened? And, and you're, you're Jews <laughs> also. So that's yeah. like the worst of the worst. Um, but seriously, uh, so it's 1948. The war just ended. And, and these doctors, are want, they, they want a, a sterilization to continue because they say that, that like the problem is still there. Uh, genetic um, um, malfunctions and you know, all kinds of genetic problems are still there. We, we, it's... it's it's not. It's not Nazi. It's not. It's scientific. It's a scientific mm -hmm. issue, and we w they w they want to convince someone that that this is true. What example do they use to show you that the genes that you need to continue with sterilization? The example of Tysaks. Mm -hmm. Now, of the course, Tysaks disease. Course, right. No, but but now it's a Jewish. It's not a racial thing. It's not that we are we have anything against the Jews, but Tysaks is a severe. Of course, it is true. Tysaks is a severe genetic problem right so that uh, only jews ashkenazi jews have no but but, but, Mainly. It's, but it's uh but yeah so um so all kinds of diseases become racial diseases i mean they were racial diseases before that but they they remain they, they keep on being one so like sickle cell anemia is a, a black uh, genetic disease and there are Jewish diseases, etc. And what happens if you find someone who doesn't have, who likes, I say, someone who doesn't have, who doesn't look black but has sickle cell anemia? 
So he probably has some kind of black roots, right? So th this is like, you, you can always... There's no it. end. There is no end, yeah. Um, so so there is a way to, to keep on holding to these racial stereotypes, which have, I mean, some of them, of course, have some kind of um, basis. basis in reality. But like your example about the, the blacks that run faster, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there is a, often a very um, long stretch between between the base in reality and what people do with that or the the metaphors that people use in the example so what's the right uh where you know what's the right line to draw between science and and and, and uh racism and socializing these these theories as you call it um, i don't know how to draw that line there, there is no line i mean there is i mean science is not um, outside of society, right? The people who do science are part of society. They do it because society allows them to do it or encourage them, encourages them to do whatever science they do. Society pays for their institutions and pays their salaries. If society doesn't want to hear anything that scientists will do, then scientists usually will stop doing that. So there is an interaction all the time between scientists and society if you can like general if you can say uh, use these generalizations and uh, so the idea is not to draw the line between them but to understand the interactions between them and the and how scientists are influenced by their cultural beliefs and by their stereotypes and what by whatever thing they bring with them uh, into their thinking into their language into their laboratories um and also, of course, to look at the other way, at the way that that um, different parts or segments of society then understand whatever science do and decides to do with that thing. So uh, there is an interaction or there is um, an overlap or there is uh, these th things go together. Um, mm -hmm. and, and how is the book relevant for nowadays? Like, uh, can we deduce things from it for... I mean, well, well, you have to read that. To, uh, yeah, yeah no, but I, I know. Um, but generally well, speaking, well, I, I think that the questions at the book are there still yeah. societies that do try to do like Nazi-like, Nazi-esque? Uh, I don't know in North Korea or in China or I don't know where. Well, is, is this still happening? It doesn't have to be Nazi-like. Um, uh, as your questions testified about the sperm donation, right? We mm -hmm. still. Um, um, use genetics to shape society um, and therefore maybe we should be aware of what we do when we do that and what does it mean when you when you do an ancestry.com um, you know uh, test mm -hmm. or or any other any other of the companies that offer you to you know to check your genome and they tell you that listen you are 45 uh, percent Ashkenazi Jew and uh, I don't know four percent Mexican Genghis Khan yeah, or no, for no, the, the problem is that they use they use categories of today. Like they say, like you're two percent Mexican. Now you've never been to Mexico. Yeah. Um. So how can you be two percent? Also, what's Mexican? Is it Inca or is yeah, it Spanish? Yeah. But, but even if it's I mean, exactly because <laughs> the two the two per, these two percent, what do they mean? They mean that if you go back long enough in your like ancestral chart, then at a certain point, two percent of your ancestors would be similar to the ancestors of those who right now live in Mexico. But these ancestors 
did not live in Mexico because Mexico did not exist uh, when they lived, right? Because it's, it's, it's far back in time. So, uh, you know, so you use the, the, the way that we use these categories, we should be more maybe reflective about what they mean and what they can mean and what they should mean and what we do with them. Um, my book is a history book. It's not a guide of how to manage your daily lives or think about society now. But as any other every, history for book... For me, every yeah. history book is a guide for... Yeah, it's, it's, it's supposed... A, 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 as I mean, we started with questions about pandemics, right? Mm-hmm. And we said, what, what can we, how can we use pandemics of the past to think about the now our current crisis? So we cannot do like a copy-paste thing. But we can look at... The, we can think about... We can think about the possibilities or what what hap- we can take these as case studies and use them as case studies so as as elaborate stories about things that happened in the past and about dyna- dynamics that are available for humans when they do something and uh, and then use them to think about what is it called today. in the uh in the military after like an operation yeah you come back you sit in a room and you talk about everything that happened right and break yeah. it down so that what is it called though in Hebrew? Tachkir? Uh, yeah, not, uh, like a tachkir. But basically, you lay it down so that in the future you can look back at it, and that's what you do basically. And blame someone else ac- for the. Yeah, no, but in military <laughs> academies, they look back at all these yeah, and they uh-huh. study them to, you know, look to the future and Maybe learn from it. Just a very basic question: like, yep. how is it that the Germans? I mean, they these were smart people. Yeah. And yet they were so goddamn stupid. Why were they stupid? To believe, uh, to to believe all these horrific things. To believe, and and they were so convinced in the truth of uh, purifying the human race by uh, doing horrific things, and 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 have that set of beliefs. I don't know. No, they weren't stupid at all. For for I mean. They were stupid as hell. They annihilated Jews for no reason. You've got to be think stupid it's a to do of that. Stupidity, though, is it? Well, I, I think they weren't. They were not stupid. Um, it doesn't mean that I agree with what they did, of course. But I think that um, well, you've got to be stupid it, to believe that you are superior over the Jews or over the, the black people. Or you can't be. Well, no, I am hesitant to use the comparisons, uh, but <laughs> I I know of a certain people who believe that they are the chosen people, right? Are they well, stupid because that's they a believe stupid belief? That, that I think to me it's a stupid belief. I, I know. I think every nation believes that it has some kind of like superiority of other nations because of either its culture or its history. Not to the point of annihilation or castration. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but that, that's not that's not a measure, uh, an issue of stu- stupidity. That's an, an issue of radicalism, of breaking down the uh, morality. I mean, I, you know what I mean. So, um, uh, the issue is not stupidity, and I think we should be careful of thinking about it as stupidity. It's it like undermines the because it's very, evil. it's very, yeah, it's very comforting to think. Okay, listen, they were both evil and stupid, and we, of course, are both smarts and good, right? Where in fact um, they were both smart and evil. Um, German science was, you know, the best science in the world in the beginning Yet of so the twentieth century. So much of it was century. pseudoscience. I don't know what what was pseudo about it. You know, th- uh, I mean, the ex- like Mengele's experiments. 
um, why um, they weren't that pseudo as you would like to believe. No, no. I mean, they were they were cruel, and they were, uh, and of course, they were done in a horrific uh, context. And but but why were they pseudo? Was the question that he asked a pseudo scientific question? It wasn't. Were the uh, measures he used to answer that question pseudo-scientific they were cruel they were immoral they were horrible but did they not follow uh, the scientific criteria of the time some of them didn't but some of them did uh, like any other scientists uh, not like most other scientists mm -hmm. um, the Nazis were like number one in the world in the research on cancer for example um, not only the Jewish cancer but like real cancer uh, the German Academy was, you know, the best academy in the world uh, in the beginning of the, the, 20, the 20th century. It didn't just end because Hitler took power. In certain fields, like theoretical physics, uh, of course, you know, if lots of Jews were important there and they expelled them, then okay. Um, but in many other fields, uh, especially fields that are related to medicine and genetics, they they were not doing pseudo things of course as the world linger on and so you know in uh, at a certain time it wasn't uh, research anymore because there were n no infrastructure and everybody were recruited etc um but i think we should be i mean the the line between pseudoscience and science is usually drawn after the effect, right? No one defines himself as doing pseudoscience. Is it, safe, then, is it yeah. safe to say that... Except mm. from for Chinese They're puncturers. <laughs> like Chinese puncturers. Acupuncturists. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now you're starting a whole... <laughs> <laughs> Why is it pseudoscience? It's because built... there's no proof it works. Well, uh, what kind of proof are you looking for? Um, scientific proof, like uh, yeah. research yeah. and uh, like studies. Statistical success. Yes. And evolution, is it pseudoscience? You tell me. <laughs> I don't know about evolution, but I know about pseudo-medicine a little bit. Um, the thing is that um, medical scientists have different ideas about what makes something scientific. And these ideas also change, right? Yeah. So if some kind of, I don't know, uh, mass statistics of uh, metadata would prove that something works, but a clinician would say, listen, I have my experience. I, I'm sorry, I can't take this statistical argument as, as convincing because my hand-on experience is more important. Which one would you believe? So you, you might the have... Studies. A, uh, okay, but, but, but this is because uh, your, the scientific culture that you believe in uh, you know, uh, favors this one. But these things change and they might change again and they change over time. And... Um, so agropuncture? Yeah. Acupuncture. Acupuncture might be proved... As effective against cancer it, one it, day. It's, I don't know. I'm but, just but being provocative. But, but I'm sorry. No, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not against science. I'm pro-science. Mm -hmm. But as someone who loves science and someone who studies science and some, someone who looks at science historically, I can say that the values that science itself or that the scientific community uses to define what is scientific and what isn't, they themselves change over time. What counts as objective? What counts as a proof? What counts as an explanation? These are things that are in a state of flux. What that means is that the values that you now hold for what's, what you think is a good scientific explanation or a good scientific proof may be not counted as such 30 years from now. 
does that mean that all the science that you believe is right now becomes pseudoscience retrospectively? I'm not sure because then you know like your your criteria are like very you have the, the fault of presentism like my current criteria are the only true ones and everything that happened in the past is worth nothing but you cannot work with such a criteria right so is it is it safe to say that maybe there is sound scientific logic to the idea that we could breed superior humans but really what steps in the way is you're the morality? proof of it Eitan. you're the proof of it <laughs> Is it is I mean is that like or or well, or is this or is taking Mendelism to a human like to the human sphere just too much of a stretch? Well, there are two questions here, right? The uh, one is are you asking if it, is it, is it just a moral issue? But technically, if we wanted, we could do that, right? Do what? What is the superior human? What can a superior human do? No, I'm saying that if I mean again, and that, let's, let's that, that also let's depends say we on have your the values, technology. Right? Eight hundred points in the psychometric, uh, most really? intelligent, most physically, and, and uh, gorgeous. To in any survey, ninety-nine percent of the per people will find him or her gorgeous. Th that's your idea. Of just superiority. for just for the sake no, of I, the argument. No, but you're saying that your ideas yeah. of superiority are social and cultural ones, mm -hmm. right? So they would also change over time mm -hmm. because what you value most as, as a superior human being is already different from what I value most as a superior human being. For example, I would ask questions about how they play with their children. I, right, I, I, I would let's say assume we have a standard. So back to Aitan's question. Can yeah. we engineer to the standard a human being with breeding? Again, I'm a historian, but okay. I, would, I would venture that. <laughs> um, I think did that, the Germans yeah, uh, so let's yeah, ask it yeah. in a, in a, in a okay. historical yeah. perspective did the Germans have the, any success in their efforts that you as a historian can look back and say they did well if right if you would give them enough time they would have some kind of success according to their own criteria okay. so if their criteria were that Jews are bad and if you'd give them some more time then no Jews would be left right so so the, the bad, the, what, what you defined as a subhuman would be gone. So that's a, that's a success, right? The, according to their cultural and social criteria, that's a success. Mm -hmm. If their idea is that we want people to have blue eyes and blonde hair, that would be a little more tricky because of the genetic me mechanisms involved in, in, in hair color and eye color. But if you would maybe push for a long enough time, etc., you might have some kind of, of gene, like uh, the distribution of the genes in the society. If you just kill, everybody doesn't have blue eyes. Uh, if you do it consistently... Iceland is a good then, example. Then, yeah, but without killing anyone, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so then eventually what you might find is that the, actually your, your scientific methods were deficient because it's not about killing things, uh, people. It's about adaption to certain kind of climate or whatever. Um, and then you would realize that because of climate change, then maybe now it's better to have brown eyes and then your, and your superiority would, you know. So uh, um, I think that the, uh, of course, if you do some kind of selective breeding, then you might be able to change a little the progeny uh, if, you, if your selection pressure is strong enough. 
but there are other, other things that are coming into these equations, like more complex genetic mechanism than just saying the genes for the genes are not for the genes do lots of complex stuff. They are influenced by other things, and by the time you finish doing that, the world will change. All right. So, I'm not sure that's. I, I, I want to clarify. I don't believe it's a good idea. Right. <laughs> no, I, of course. It's just an interesting just, question think, to I ask. I think that that. I mean, I wonder if that's really the difference. But, is that I mean, they had great, you know, going back to Nora's question about their stupidity, they had great science and, you know, maybe it's even a lot sound logic to assume that, you know, <clears throat> given these values and this kind of human we want to promote, we could eliminate all the fact, the other factors. But I think morality is what kind of stands in the yeah, way. I want to say two things. One is that... Um, Often the uh, the the way that you judge if science is good or not is you ask does it work, work in the sense of prediction or work in the sense of well, well I don't know rocket science works because I can fly the rocket right so if you use this criterion uh, then you could say that in a sense some of Nazi science would work if, right if if uh, if you define the Jews as bad and then you kill them then you kill the bad things then your science worked. Um, um, of course, uh, yeah. Um, and the other point, well, no, I forgot. Um, All good. What? All good. I know, but it was you, an important maybe. thing. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, of course, we use generalizations all the time. So we say they and the Nazis and everything. Now, of course, let it be clear. The Nazi state was a crazy state with lots of different agencies competing for primacy, with lots of crazy people in, in in positions of power and many of them had really awkward ideas about the world and about Jews and about races so uh, I'm not saying that you know Hitler was a very good scientist and if you don't so that's not my point um, but in the Nazi state there was still um, a working academy and institutions of research that despite the fact that some of them, of course, had all kinds of people who got their jobs because they were politically correct, uh, affiliated correctly and stuff like that, they were still, in a sense, genuine scientists w doing genuine scientific work. Now, genuine scientific work is often work that does not look at morality because we often expect scientists not to think about the moral issues at hand. For that, for that purpose, we have all kinds of bioethics, uh, committees, but not the scientists themselves. The scientists had to ask questions about truth and reality and experiment and what is the best way to get there. So our ideal of science is that it's not moral, not in the sense of being uh, immoral, but in the sense of being amoral, right? Science is not religion. It should not ask questions about morality. It should ask questions about um, how the world works, regardless of whether you like it's the answer or not. It's about objective facts. It's about objective facts, right? So uh, we expect the scientists who, who discover these facts or explore these facts not to think, mm, I won't explore that because my religious beliefs uh, tell me that I shouldn't, I don't know, um, dissect this animal or, or whatever. No, no, if you need to dissect this animal in order to find out something, you should do that if you're a good scientist, right? So, so... Our modern ideal of, of science is that it's not religion and it's not, I don't know, some kind of moral theory. It's a way to get to, to facts and put everything aside. But then again, ultimately, really, to yeah, wrap morality things up. gets in the way because you, you know, it, it, you uh, say thank that. God. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. 
um, we want morality to get in the way. Yeah. And that's our job as citizens and as um, humans. As, as humans. Um, not in the sense of, you know, not letting scientists do their job, but in the sense of, of being able to look at what scientists do. And, um, and scientists do that too. I'm not saying that scientists are not aware of everything I say. Scientists are smart people. Uh, and they think about what they do uh, too. Um, but, uh, but we should as well. Great. It was fascinating. So the book is called Social Mendelism, but there's a subtitle, right? Genetics and the Politics of Race in Germany, 1900 to 1948. And it looks like you've really made it accessible, meaning it's not this like heavy, uh, I don't know, like, historic 4,000 page I history book. To. Yeah, okay. I did my best. Is it on digital platforms too? You can buy it in like Kindle. There's a Kindle edition and uh, there is a hardcover. There'll be a soft cover. But they sell it in America? Uh, it's going to be launched. Not that anyone in, is in going Ameri to go to bookstores in the. Uh, it's going to be launched in America in the 26th of March. So it depends on when this thing is broadcasted. Probably. Will there be already. a book tour? Uh, well, flying now right now yeah. is. <laughs> um, Virtual uh, book tour. Um, let's let's put it this way. Th this guys. is my book tour. You are my book tour. Yes, but if you listen, <laughs> spread if it's, the word. If yeah. it's uh, yeah. if if you're listening to this, because people will listen it to this in a year, in half a year, and it's Corona is long forgotten history, and you want to bring Amir to your community, then you can contact. be in touch with yeah. him, with yeah. us. We'll put yeah. you in touch. Yeah. Um, to talk again, about social mendalism, guys. Look it up. And it's pr it's uh, printed by Cambridge University Press. Yeah, that's true. Thank um, you so much for coming. Thank you. Before we go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal. They're at jewishjournal.com. You can find their great content, podcasts like David Suisse's podcast, Shmuel Rosner's podcast. And we really recommend you guys to check them out also. Also, we have a collaboration with Arucheva, IsraelNationalNews.com. Uh, also great content. Check them out. We're live on their Facebook page sometimes. So check it out. And, of course, we accept donations, guys. We do this on our free time. So if you want to help us out, 2NJB.com slash donate. Thank that you again it. so much. Good luck with the book. Thank you. And thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.